Hi, I'm Ant Williams, business psychologist and Guinness World Record holding freediver. For the past two decades, I've been obsessed with a single question. How do the best leaders attract great people and build a culture that delivers results? This podcast is a record of the insights from my work with hundreds of leaders and conversations with experts in pursuit of the answer to this question. For the lifelong learner who wants to give their own leadership a boost, we reveal the universal principles that can be applied by any leader to drive consistently higher performance in their team. Welcome to the Leadership Deep Dive. Hi, I'm Ant Williams and welcome along to this podcast. Uh, The topic for today is how to help others change. I find this a really fascinating topic because as anyone in business knows, change happens so frequently. There's always great reasons for change um, to respond to what's happening externally. But as managers or leaders in a business, it's often us. We're the ones who get targeted with trying to move others through change. And that can be really difficult. It's for that reason we thought we'd focus on that topic for today. Um, And one of the things I wanted to do was to introduce you to a really simple really simple model or framework that I've been using for like the last 10 years that I really love because it beautifully illustrates the notion of how to help others step through change. So the model I want to talk to you about actually comes from the field of psychology um, and it's, it was by some authors called um, Proshaka right back in 19, 1977. I actually remember when I first came across this model. I was I was studying for my master's in psychology in a lecture hall and Oh, the lecturer put this model up on the on the PowerPoint. I remember thinking, "Oh, that looks just so boring." Okay, <laughs> I think I'll just. This is a point where I switch off. It wasn't until years later that I actually realised just how powerful this model is. So I do want to share it with you and sort of step you through it today, um, even though at first glance it might also sound pretty boring to you. So look, it's an evidence-based model called the Trans Theoretical Model of Change. And it has six different stages that describe how someone starts with an awareness that they might need to change through to whether or not they adopt a particular type of change. But what you'll see is you could apply almost any type of change that you've ever been through can be applied through the lens of this model. So it's really cool. So how does it work? Well, in this model, there's you can think of it almost like stages of change. So the first step is this idea of pre-contemplation, which is actually, you're not thinking about changing. You're not thinking that anything's wrong and that you should need to change. And, and so I'll give you an example. So like if I'm maybe carrying a little bit of extra weight around my midsection, then I might be totally fine with that. I might not have any sort of knowledge that I should do something about that until maybe my wife complains one afternoon that I should get back to the gym. So then I move from what's called pre-contemplation to contemplation. So in contemplation, now I'm thinking, oh, actually, maybe maybe I should change something here. Maybe this isn't who I am or how I see myself. And so as a, I start contemplating this idea of maybe I could change. But I don't actually take any action at this stage. The next stage of the cycle is called determination. So where I'm actually really determined to make a change, in this case, to my weight. And at this stage, I'm sort of looking around at uh, what options might be available. Should I go to the gym? Should I join a sports club and do some sport? I'm looking at ways that will hopefully make it easy for me to make those changes. And then finally, I get to that action stage where I'm now actually doing something. I'm doing some regular exercise. And this is the most tenuous stage of that change cycle because it's very easy to uh, relapse from here. It doesn't take much to experience a failure 
And then what happens is we don't just normally go straight back to action. Is quite often what happens instead is we relapse and we go back to the start. So um, back to pre-contemplation where we go, hey, tried that, didn't work for me. I'm just going to carry on as normal. So even by now, you're probably reflecting on your own experiences with change with things like weight loss or maybe smoking. There's just so many different things in our normal lives that we can relate this to. But what I want to get you to do in this short session is to think about how it might relate to you in a role of, as a leader in your business, helping others see where they are in the change cycle with a change that's maybe impacting your business. Uh, and then the idea is if you, can, if you can help them identify where they are in that stage of change, then you're in a better position to motivate them, to bring them through from one stage of change to the next. Now, what we often get wrong is we try to pull people right from this kind of pre-contemplation stage where they're like, yeah, yeah, that change doesn't impact me. I don't have to change. We try to pull them from there through to action. I'll give you an example. So one of my clients is a large pharmaceutical company and they wanted to move from, you know, like an Excel um, spreadsheet-based uh, CRM and software platform to getting their entire global company onto an ERP, an enterprise-wide system. And so the Australian managing director came out and said to everyone in a, in, in a town hall, right, we're all changing. We're all going off Excel and we're going to go to this other platform, this ERP. Now you're either off the bus or you're on the bus. So let's get on with it. And, and you know, he thought it was a great speech. He, he said to me afterwards, now everyone knows what's expected of them. But what's really funny about that is it completely negates the awareness of the actual psychology that happens when someone wants to change. Like we're not robots. You can't just flick a switch and we'll all of a sudden be doing these new behaviors. What happens is we, we kind of weigh it up. What's in it for me? Does it impact me? And we make our own judgments around that stuff. So what's more important to do in change is to actually walk people through the different steps, recognizing that's very natural, normal way that we deal with change. So I want you to think about a change that's happening in your organization or maybe the one that's impacting you quite closely or your team. And I want you to think about how this model maybe relates to you. I'm going to stick with that one example of maybe a software change because it's one that most of us can relate to because it's happened to us at some stage. So when we first announce that there's a software change, often people will be quite excited and go, oh, cool, that's, that sounds great. Let me have a look at it. And usually you get some real optimism, but there'll be sort of a couple of camps at this stage, those who really like things the way they are and those who are early adopters who get quite excited by change. I'm usually in that latter category where I get really excited by the change. <laughs> you know, if you give me a say, oh, look, there's a new iPhone coming out. I'm really excited and pumped and I want to get in, get in there and try it out. But not everyone thinks like that. So people will weigh it up based on, what's going to impact them personally and what's in it for them. So when you first announce the change, it's really important to get consultation happening first, to get people's understanding of it, of why you might need to make a change in the first place. And, and this is where it's kind of intricate because if you're explaining the reasons for the change to you know, senior stakeholders or a senior audience and your reasons for this change are business performance or efficiencies, financial returns and those sorts of metrics, then a senior audience, they're going to get it. They're going to get it straight away. But if you're trying to pitch that advice or those reasons to a, a frontline audience, then they might not get why you're doing it. They might think that it's a bit of a, a made-up story and they won't evaluate it in terms of the overall business. They'll evaluate in their own terms. So really critical to frame it up uh, in those early conversations around what this means for you and how it's either going to make 
your world better, how it's going to make it um, easier to do your job, but also being really honest about that change is difficult and this will mean that at some stage we've got to turn off the old system and switch on the new system and then offer them some real reassurance around uh, obviously that there's going to be training provided and that you know and that there'll be different initiatives set up in order to support them through it i think all of that stuff's really important but possibly just as important as that is then listening listening to what people say and getting a getting a sense for the pulse in the room Uh, because some people will have lots of questions and you might go oh these guys are really difficult or <laughs> they're really resisting this. You know, I'm going to put a sort of a mark next to their name, but it, it doesn't work like that. You, you actually really need to embrace that and go, because, you know, there's, there's vocal resistance, which is really a good thing where people tell you if they're not really happy with the changes. What's harder is negative or, or um, nonverbal resistance where they don't say anything to you, but they actually harbor some really deep-seated concerns about the change that don't get a voice. So the best you can is to try to get that out early so that in that pre-contemplation stage, you start moving people from this idea of we don't need to change through to this kind of awareness that maybe maybe there is a reason that I need to change. If you get the majority of your people through that pre-contemplation stage, then the next part is moving to contemplation. So no action's being taken yet. Just kind of now thinking about it and how it'll impact them. They're weighing up the pros and cons. So, is this a good thing or is it a bad thing? What do I have to sacrifice in order to learn this? And with any software change, you're weighing up the speed because you know you're really familiar with the system, so you know where to find things and how to get it done quickly. And a new system might really slow you down. So you're weighing up that. It might not give you the the reports you are used to. Uh, and that might concern you that you can't get the information out or the insights that you're after. So through that period, you you as a leader need to really highlight and make salient the the upside of making those changes. Uh, find good news stories, people who are, who are early adopters who are trying stuff out and then really showcase how, how beneficial it's being to them and their roles. And just keep encouraging people to... And, you know, to start giving it a go in order to help them make those choices and realize that actually the pros do outweigh the cons. The third stage is once you're into determination. Now, often people are trying things out here, like wanting to get in and, and, and see how it would look for them. They want to get access to the software. It's really important that we're running training sessions, giving people access so that they can see firsthand and answer that question for themselves. Is this something that I'm going to be able to do? Because if they get to the stage and the, the training's not there, or as managers were saying, you've just got to get on with it, get in there and figure it out, then their determination might quickly go back to pre-contemplation if they find it too hard. The next stage is that you actually do all this hard work and you finally, hopefully, get them through to the action stage. The action stage is the most tenuous stage of all because it takes a long time to form a habit. If they get through to the action stage and they're, and they're really getting some success with this new software or you know, finding that they really enjoy the new changes that they're making, then action quickly moves to maintenance. But if they're finding it difficult, then it's going to take several weeks, sometimes even longer, before those actions become a habit. So as a leader, you're going to have to do a lot to really make sure that they, you, know, that you keep the momentum up, that you keep encouraging people and supporting them. And for you, it's going to be frustrating. It'll be frustrating because people will still use workarounds. They'll do stuff behind your back. Like they'll just, you know, come up with the reports out of Excel instead of using your new CRM system, for example, which is really common behavior. And it's 
if you kind of really crack down on them hard for it because you're you're frustrated, then there's a risk that they'll just keep hiding stuff from you rather than doing more behavior around the the new CRM CRM or the new software that you're actually looking for. So as best you can, try to keep them talking, keep them open and voicing any concerns they have or any frustrations they're experiencing. Do that long enough, and yes, you get them through to maintenance. This is where their new behaviors are nicely well-formed. You still have a job here, though. You still have a role to do, which is to share those stories, share this success, talk to people about the benefits that you're now getting as a team from using this new software, maybe the new reporting it's allowing you to get out. And and that's where it's really, you know, it's great Um, because now hopefully you're also getting some really good results from it. Um, you just have to be careful at this stage as a leader because if you let up too soon and you don't really keep some energy behind the change, you kind of claim it too early that everyone's now using the system, then um, sometimes people will go back and revert back to the way things used to be. So yeah, you gotta, you got to keep the pace up and, and really make sure that you've made the change stick. So the only other thing to share with you about this model is that through any stage uh, once you're after pre-contemplation, it is actually really easy to relapse back to the start. I use the example of what's like to, you know, maybe try to get fit and look really, I don't know, really good for summer, for example. And you start by thinking, oh, it's been winter, I don't need to look good. And then you come into the summer months and you start to get excited about going to the gym or doing some exercise. And you go through that cycle of change where you put yourself through some weighing up the pros and cons. You get ready to determine and you decide to join a gym or a group or um, CrossFit, F45 or something like that. And then once you're in the action phase, you go, oh, it just doesn't really fit in with my lifestyle. And I'm too busy to do this. And all these other reasons come in and you find that unless you're able to do it consistently for a number of weeks, we typically end up going back to pre-contemplation. So in that scenario, you'd be better off if you had a training partner or you had a a trainer who came with you to those sessions or you worked in a group environment. Because all of those things we know lead to people to stick to their goals more, more readily. So it's no different for us as leaders. We've got to find where people are on their stages of change, on the trans-theoretical model, and then help by moving them to the very next stage that follows it, rather than trying to rush them through to the actions or maintenance phase. Just a few things to bear in mind when it comes to the use of this model. I often get asked what are the biggest mistakes people make when trying to apply this model. I think the number one thing is that everyone's at a different stage when it comes to this model for any particular change. We all change at different rates. Organizations don't change in one go. It's really person by person. So that means it's harder for us as leaders to work out where someone is in the change cycle with a change. But the only way you're going to do that is just by getting really close, talking to people, increasing the amount of your communication, trying not to get frustrated with people that don't change quickly enough or to your expectation, and just recognizing that it it takes quite a long time. And the more forceful you are with people around the change, the more likely it is that they'll revert to the old way, but just simply hide it from you. I also get asked, where do people get stuck most in this cycle? And again, I think the answer is it depends on each person. Uh, Some people, you'll find that it takes a long time to get them out of the contemplation phases to get them to actually take some action. Others, you'll find they'll get through to action fairly quickly, but then they keep reverting back. The challenge, I guess, is for the leader is to just kind of be really aware of what those differences are with individuals and really make sure that you're targeting your message depending on each individual and what their needs are. 
And lastly, it's good to know what the limitations are of a model like this. For me, this model has some limits, and that would be around explaining why some people resist the whole time when you're trying to drive through a change. I mean, there's nothing more frustrating when you're trying to orchestrate a change initiative than someone who resists really vocally. Or they go and talk to other groups and try to convince them or poison them, as we sometimes say, to, to go against your change. Or they undermine it by saying things like, oh, you know what? Someone's previously tried to run this change through here and it didn't work. You know, if you just wait long enough, then it'll go away like the other changes have. And then we can all go back to how it used to be. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's normal human behavior as well. So, yeah, you... I think if you want to understand more about how to um, recognize and respond to resistance, then look, there's actually a great article called Decoding Resistance to Change that's in HBR. It's an article that they released a couple of years ago. You know what? We'll leave the, a link to that article down in the show notes so that if it's of interest to you, you can go and access it there. So look, in summary, the trans-theoretical model can be used to actually manage through some quite complex change. It explains how individuals respond emotionally and behaviorally to a change initiative that's often placed on them that they haven't decided to sign up for, but the organization's changing. And, and so they're not necessarily voluntary participants, but nevertheless, they have to transition through it as part of our expectations on them and their role. So it's a very useful tool to guide your approach. If you use it, I think you'll have fewer headaches with change and you'll be far more successful in moving people through change quicker. If you're responsible for learning and development at your company and you'd like to know more about how we help fast growth firms deliver high impact training for their leaders, then click the link in the show notes to get in touch.